How'd you get into that space? It was not by design. I, I got out of college and uh, had a degree in accounting. I had the opportunity to either be a junior accountant or start selling these new things called personal computers to consumers. And I picked the job to sell personal computers because it was in the city. And I thought there'd be more pretty women in the city than there would be in the suburbs. <laughs> and that was the beginning of my career uh, almost 40 years ago now. And I've, I've not, not stopped since. Wow. That's awesome. So what have you seen that's over the course of the time that you feel has like really changed a lot within the, what you're doing? Well, I think the common theme in all of my careers, Darian, is that it's been looking at innovative, disruptive technology and try to bring that into the mass mainstream consumption. So in the early days, it was personal computers, and it was very technical. Uh, in the 90s, it was the early stages of the web and cell phone, wireless technology. I was one of the first people to have a cell phone in my car, and it took up half the trunk of my car, <laughs> and, it was, and it was uber expensive. And, and over time, we've learned to do so many things with wireless, we then learned how to do so much with the World Wide Web. I was one of the early guys in 2000 driving the whole globalization offshore, beginning to move lots of coding and development to countries like India. And most recently, in the late uh, 2010 timeframe, it was the cloud, brand new thing, and, and what that has meant. And now it's really bringing that wireless and cloud capabilities together to create smart infrastructure, smart buildings, digitally twinning human beings. But the common theme through all of that has always been, I guess I, I thrive in that cutting edge, innovative, disruptive space where I see a vision of tomorrow and I'm trying to bring everybody along excitedly. Like, let's go. Let's, let's get to the yeah. next step. Yep. What is digitally twinning people? I don't think I've ever heard that phrase before. So digital twin is becoming a macro term that you're going to hear a lot about. And, and at its simplest form, it's let's create a virtual replica of our physical world. So you see these really cool car commercials during the Super Bowl or, or, or others where they've got this 3D model of the car that they're spinning around on the screen and they're putting it through wind tunnels virtually, and they're figuring all this stuff out before a single piece of metal or plastic gets forged into the new automobile. Well, that's a digital twin. Well, we're now digitally twinning buildings and cities. Why? To drive all kinds of new efficiencies, find new kinds of ways to utilize and optimize space. Very importantly, reducing our carbon footprint. You know, how do we get more efficient in living society? But we're also digitally twinning the human body. You know, putting more and more sensors on our wearables, whether it be our iWatch or our Fitbit or the sensors in your Nike uh, sneakers. I was working with a company in the UK a few years ago, and they're putting sensors in fashion clothing. Imagine buying a Thomas Pink or a, 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 a American Eagle sweatshirt, and it's got sensors in it. And all that data is being captured and analyzed real time. And so one day you're minding your own business and you get a, get a text message, hey, Darian, you better go to the hospital. Well, why? 
while we're tracking 100,000 people just like you, your height, your weight, your activity level, your diet, all those things. And every time one of them has a heart attack, their data looks just like yours does today, the day before. And so being able to create these digital twins to improve the quality of life and extend life, both in our physical world and in our, our you know, obviously being human beings. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, that's, I, it makes me think of that, you know, you mentioned about like, let's say they text you about it. Do you think that's the one of the key elements versus just having humans look at a bunch of data that they don't really understand? Absolutely. <clears throat> the analogy I use often is, you know, we've all grown up, regardless of your age at this point, if you're in the working world, you know what a credit score is. And I was part of early credit scoring algorithms in the early 90s that helped get it to where it is today. And the complexity of the credit score is unbelievable. And so imagine right now if you were getting uh, either whether it be a self-serve login or push notification, and you had just all your raw data about your credit score, well, your eyes would glaze over, you would ignore it, nobody would pay attention to it. But we took all that complexity and we just came up with a, hey, you're a 775. Oh, okay. I kind of know what to do with that. I, I know whether I'm feeling good about that or feeling bad, how I can improve it or how I can take advantage of it. And, and, and so it's that same idea that all the complexity under the hood, and we're just going to give you the stupid engine light that says, hey, if the engine light comes on, go to the hospital. Right. Because there's all kinds of stuff going on under the covers that you need to worry about. Oh, that's, that's incredible. What do you think the the receptivity of this type of thing is for most humans? Well, you're hitting on one of the hottest topics of, I think, the decade. And it's only 2021. And that is going to be privacy, right? So, so is this data being used for nefarious purposes in any, in any way? And I talk to a lot of people all around the world, and I usually we'll use the example that I just shared with you. And I said, not only am I going to use that data from your Nike sneakers and your, your sweatshirt and your iWatch, you're going to pay me. You're going to pay me probably $29 a month for that service. Why? Because the, the, the value far exceeds the risk that you fear of sharing that data with somebody. Now, of course, it has to be a trusted source, and we have to have all the same kind of mechanisms that we have in place now for things like credit scores. But one of the analogies I use is just because people figured out a nefarious way to use jetliners as a weapon in 9-11 didn't mean that we stopped flying. It meant that we adopted a whole bunch of international protocols and processes and understanding to make it safer because the value of jet transportation far outweighs the downside. And I think that same conversation is going to come up as it relates to data. You know, I spend a lot of time in London. It is the most uh, videotaped city in the world. There are cameras everywhere. And they've had those cameras for a long time. Those cameras have been used to track down bombers after the fact when they do something nefarious. But they've also been used countless times, many more than the public knows about, to keep bombs from going off in the first place. And somewhere in the conversation, 
the British people and the hundreds of millions of tourists that come to to London, you know, well, every decade, became okay with the trade-off of yeah, pretty much anywhere I am, I'm being taped. But wow, London's one of the safer cities in the world because of it. And and so there's a lot of granular fine tuning in all of that. You know, another example is after 9/11. Uh, we started allowing the government to tape and and analyze phone conversations of everyday Americans. And that eventually got pulled back. And it's a constant struggle right now between you know, NSA and, and, and Homeland Security and public privacy. And I think that's a healthy debate. I think that is I think that is making sure that all sides are pulling for their respective points of view. And ultimately, for society, the answer comes out somewhere that 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 works for everybody, you know, at, at any point in time. So that is, the, but that is the billion-dollar question, I think, over the next decade for sure. And there is no answer. It's a conversation. It's a debate. It's a process, and will ebb and flow as you know as we navigate through it. Do you ever see a time where? This could be an issue with, let's say, you mentioned the credit score thing. Well, maybe an issue of like someone's, let's say, health and wellness and a person being judged or denied access to things because of their scores related to their the data that is being processed about their health, for example, sure. things of that nature. Sure, absolutely. I mean, that that's that's part of the genesis of HIPAA, which is the privacy laws here in the United States around healthcare. And a lot of that was was really begun in the uh, in the 80s with AIDS and HIV positive and people losing their jobs because they tested positive and the the the, the public stigma that was associated with HIV and AIDS and so again we don't have to look far into the rearview mirror to find examples of when we as a society did do the wrong things with data and now we've dialed it back we've dialed it back with public education, with awareness, and with regulatory laws like HIPAA. And so that's that's a good example, uh, Darian, of the, the tug and the pull that I see from many sides of the argument to try and figure out the right balance of privacy and good for all. We're seeing a lot of that play out right now with COVID. The... the uh, are, are we going to get to a point as vaccines roll out where there is two tiers in society, people that have been vaccinated and people that haven't? And if you've been vaccinated, are you allowed in the restaurant? But if you haven't been vaccinated, you're not. Do I need to show my papers to get into the restaurant, to get onto the airplane, to get into the country? And, you know, there's there's a lot of people on the planet and it's going to be many years before the planet reaches herd immunity with this kind of a virus. So how does this begin to play out? How do we manage that information? How do we share that information? Do you, you know, do you do you wear a sticker on your forehead that says I'm vaccinated? Right. And, and because you've got that sticker, you don't have to wear a mask. So when you're walking down the street, nobody's calling you a jerk for not wearing a mask because yeah. you got your there's there's a lot of complexity. You know, unfortunately last July, September, November, everybody, 
was, hey, the vaccine, the vaccine. We thought the vaccine was the finish line. It's right. really just the starting line the beginning. for the complexities yeah. of what we're going to give to, go through. Yep. Most definitely. Totally agree on those points. I think we just haven't really seen, we're not playing the long game all the time. And we should be because it's going to be a while. I wonder what you're thinking, your feelings are related to data and this kind of movement with uh, sites like Brave and DuckDuckGo and, you know, um, and and recently I had a guy on who owns this company called Cocoon and, and people getting paid for their data, things of that nature. What's your feelings related for that? Well, there's you've touched on a couple things there. So uh, first of all, I, I love any of the technologies that are, are coming to the marketplace. Uh, I'm working on a proposal right now for a Fortune 10 company where I'm having this exact conversation. Can you really empower your customers to have control over how their data gets used? And so a little bit like what we've seen in the last 10 years, do, do you remember when you used to have to pay to see your credit score? And yes. It was kind of a big, and it was a big secret. And you, you, you know, suddenly this, this knowledgeable being from above came down and decided your fate, whether you could buy that car or get that, that credit card. And, and there's been a huge swing in the last decade to empower consumers to understand it to be able to get a free credit report anytime you want, to begin to know and dispute what's on there and, and have a conversation. None of that existed 10 years ago. Well, I see the same thing happening with all this other data that we're producing. And so can I, can I begin to understand what, what does Facebook have on me? What about LinkedIn? What about Twitter? What about my cell phone carrier? How about Comcast where I have pay-per-view? Are people actually seeing what movies I rent, and 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 all of those all of those pieces of data, and so these companies that are creating technologies that allow me to create a cockpit, and allow me to start managing and say, yeah, you know, okay, I'll share that. No, I won't share this. That's the beginning of a data revolution of empowerment, but it sets the stage for something much bigger that you also touched on. Once I start checking a box saying, you can't see this data. And let's say, for example, Comcast wants to see that data because they know that when they present to me certain films, you know, there's so much entertainment out there. They want to present to me on a Tuesday evening when I'm just surfing, they want to present to me something that I'm likely to click on and buy for $4.99. So if Comcast wants to use that data and I'm inclined to say no, well, what if Comcast comes and says, well, I'll pay you for that data. I'll pay you $9 a month and I'll credit your account $9 a month to let me see that data. I was working with a client in the UK about three years ago, and they developed a sensor that goes on the inbound power line of your apartment, your flat. And it was designed to monitor electricity usage so that they could help you optimize your energy consumption. But quite by accident, what they discovered is they were monitoring the, 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 the flow of electricity into your apartment. But every time your refrigerator turned on, it reverberated back through the power line and it sent a unique digital signature. And then every time you turned on your vacuum cleaner or your hair dryer, it also reverberated back. And each of these digital signatures was unique. So quite by accident, they were able to determine how much your refrigerator was running, therefore what it was set at. 
how often you were using your hair dryer, how often you were vacuuming, how often you were making your, your, your kettle of tea. And they realized that lots of people would be interested in buying this information. So they went to the manufacturers of appliances and said, hey, we've got this information. Of course, the appliance manufacturers were, what better way to, to understand exactly how your devices are performing in the field than to have real utilization data? But they weren't quite sure that it was their data to sign. So it was very clever. They had 50,000, roughly 50,000 users in, in London. They went to all of them and they said, hey, we would like to sell this data to all the manufacturers. We're going to anonymize it. So we're not going to tell you that it's Darian Parker or Ron Rock. We're just going to say, right. you know, right. And we're going to give you nine pounds a month for that information. Everybody said yes. Hmm. How cool is that? You're get you're, 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 you're creating value. So this gets back a little bit to our digital twin conversation, and we're getting way out uh, ahead of my skis here, but I'll, this is kind of some of the stuff that people talk about in think tanks that I've been participating in in the yeah. last decade. Um, there comes a time where people, per, every 24 hours a day, you are producing data, whether you're sleeping, walking, working, playing, simply breathing and having your heart beat, you are producing data. And there are countless entities and growing globally of people that want to buy that data. Why do they want to buy it? Not because they want to screw over Darian. It's because they're trying to cure cancer. They're trying to extend the quality of life. They're trying to improve the health of the planet. They're trying to build products and services that are both economically friendly and beneficial and be the next new, new thing. And so if all of us are producing data, if we have these cockpits that I talked about and we can control what gets out and what doesn't, what a fabulous way for virtually every human being on the planet to create value. It starts to go a long way to solving some of the economic problems about all the haves versus have nots and, 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 and kind of some of the economic disparity that's been happening uh, in the planet. So, you know, at the end of the day, data is what's going to solve you know, the, the extension of Earth being an okay planet, uh, hopefully finding uh, human life lasting well north of 100 years of age with quality, not always bound to a wheelchair or into a nursing home. All of these things have a data centricity to them. And we think that the idea of global data marts and data, mar data being exchanged on the free market, bid and ask, based on demand, availability, privacy, and security, we think that's a big opportunity in the next couple of decades. This is big news here. Big things going on. <laughs> Very big. I, uh, I wonder, like, what are, in your mind, what are some of the closer things that we can solve, like near future things we could solve with uh, technology in your mind? So, so... Microshare, uh, the company that I founded eight years ago, we we deploy sensors, low cost battery operated sensors in all kind of physical structures. So warehouses, mines, power plants, office buildings, college campuses, hospitals. We put these sensors, and by the way, we when we put these sensors in, we stay out of the regulated space. So if I'm in a hospital, I'm not doing anything with the patient. 
But other than patients, hospitals are buildings with heating and cooling and electricity, and they need to be cleaned and sanitized and supplied and fixed and repaired. So our core business is putting these low-cost sensors that just three years ago didn't really exist at the scale and price they do today, and marrying them with cloud technology, folks like Microsoft Azure that didn't have IoT, Internet of Things, cloud infrastructure solutions just three and five years ago. So bringing this new low-cost technology into existing spaces to, to drive things like occupancy, predictive cleaning, waste management, environmental monitoring, indoor asset tracking, all of these things help reduce the carbon footprint of a building. They help clean it better with lower expense. So radical thought, why aren't I clean space that's actually being used, not show up every day at five o'clock and clean everything from the first floor to the 10th floor, whether people showed up or not. Let me align my air conditioning and my heating and my power grid energy consumption and my when I fire the backup coal powered or gas powered generators to augment my power. Why don't I orchestrate all of that with real-time utilization. And it seems so simple today, but just five years ago, the cost to do that far exceeded the willingness of most people to go there. And so now the cost is so low that I can drive real value, real cost savings, real efficiencies, uh, a win for everybody uh, along the way. So that was my core business before COVID-19. In March, most of my core business dried up, not surprisingly, certainly my office space business. We did see a big upswing in Q4 with factories, warehouses, you know, manufacturing, uh, uh, power plants, hospitals. Think of all those segments of the economy. You know, you and I can do what we're doing right now for the next couple of years and, you know, may not be fun, but we can get it done. But if you're working in a nuclear power plant, you can't be remote. If you're working at a hospital, you can't be remote. So how do we safely begin to bring people back to work? We had an indoor asset tracking tool that we were using primarily for hospital beds, wheelchairs, infusion machines inside NIH hospitals in the UK. And GlaxoSmithKline went to Microsoft, our biggest partner, and said, hey, we see you have this company, MicroShare, doing asset tracking indoor. Do you think we could use that for contact tracing? And six weeks later, we were on the front page of the Financial Times globally. We've since been on the front page of the New York Times uh, three times in the last four months, the BBC, the Washington Post. We developed a a wearable contact tracing device. And what it does is it tracks whether or not you've been within two meters of a fellow employee for more than 15 minutes. And we do that anonymously, getting back to our data privacy conversation. We never disclose that Darian is badge 1234 or that Ron is 5678. We track this data anonymously. We track where you go in the building. We track who you have contact events with. If after two weeks there's been no contact event, we delete that data. But if in the event that I come down with COVID and I call in sick tomorrow, they, they look at my badge. They then decode and say, oh, this is Ron's badge number. 
okay, what other badge numbers did Ron have a contact event with? Oh, I see that Ron was on the second floor conference room with Darian last Tuesday. They reach out to you and say, Darian, you've had a contact event with somebody who tested positive. We'd like you to go home and not come back until you get tested. The second thing that they do is they now say, where did Ron go? So they go to the second floor conference room and the second floor cafeteria, and they deep clean just those areas right away because I can't economically afford to send everybody home and get tested. And by the way, that's what we were doing last middle of March. And I can't afford to shut the whole building or the whole operation down and deep clean everything. And by the way, that's what we were doing last March as well. So so that's been a huge win for us. The fact that it's a wearable device that's anonymized because the competition was trying to get us to put apps on our smartphones. Well, I don't want my employer or my government or my municipality or my union putting an app on my phone. Gee, that's the phone that's got my Facebook. It's got my dating app. It's got my healthcare information. I don't feel good about you having direct access to everything on my phone. So by delivering a unique wearable, it's either a lanyard or a wristband or a badge. We are able to, to provide this amazing opportunity so that we're, you know, originally we were just helping save the planet with ESG and sustainability and reducing carbon footprint. And I love that. But now we've actually moved into the realm of we're helping save lives. And we've had customers that have had real experiences using our technology where it made a huge difference in their ability to track down the virus internally, find out people that might have been infected. And what's interesting, getting back to the privacy information and the, you know, the, the wearables and the digital twinning, at first there were resistance. People didn't want to wear the badges. Right. But then you say, but, but while you're at work, I would like you to wear this. Why? So if you are exposed to an infected person, I'm going to be able to let you know that right away. And that way you have a chance of not infecting your family, not infecting your friends, getting tested sooner. The minute you put it into a whiff and what's in it for me perspective, almost unanimously people were like, you know what? I'm happy to wear this while I'm at work. And we also did a lot of, you know, as you might imagine, in the second half of last year, we were stuck in a lot of conversations with chief legal counsels and, and, and lawmakers. The way it stands right now, your employer is liable for your safety while you are in their building. Hmm. They're not allowed to force you to put something on your own personal device. So they can't say, Darian, for you to show up at work, you got to give me your smartphone. No, now they're crossing the line. But if you come into the front desk and the security guard says, hey, good to see you today, Darian. Here's your badge. And for the day that you're there, you're wearing that. Well, that's really no different than wearing your lanyard, your ID badge. That's no different than giving visitors a visitor badge when they come into a building. And why does your employer do that before COVID? They do it because they're running a secure facility and they want to make sure that everybody there is accounted for. So we've managed to find a niche that just extends that safety um, uh, paradigm to your health and well-being, et cetera. But the other piece of it that, that you, you had asked is, is so what, other, what are we seeing? So GlaxoSmithKline was yeah. our first client. They've installed it globally. 
They're loving it. As a matter of fact, just this week, they doubled down and we're in over 15 countries with GlaxoSmithKline right now. But they started watching, again, it's all anonymized, but remember, I know where you are. So we were able to pretty quickly uh, realize that way too many people are in the cafeteria at one time. Way too many mm. people are in the restrooms at one time. We started identifying hot spots, and now they're going into a proactive mode where we're putting monitors around the facility. And let's say you're getting ready to go to lunch. You look at the cafeteria. It's red, yellow, or green. If it's green, go on down. If it's yellow, you know, there's a lot of people going the cafeteria right now. If you can wait a little bit, wait. If it's red, don't go. There's too many people. And so the analogy I use is, it's kind of like the what's happened with airbags and autonomous cars. We put all this investment in airbags so that when the car got into an accident, you had a better chance of living. And that's awesome. And we've done a great job with it. But the technology that's come out in the last 10 years has said, wait a minute, how about if we keep the car from getting into an accident in the first place? Right. Isn't that the same as the text message that you might have a heart attack tomorrow? This idea of using data to be predictive. Let me stop the accident from happening in, a first, in the first place. So what if I could say to you, Darren, I can guarantee you're going to live to 110 years of age. And you say, yeah, I don't know about that because, gosh, grandmom spent the last 15 years in a nursing home. And you say, oh, no, 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 no. We're, sign up with us. And there's a 90% chance you're not going to get the stroke. You're not going to get the heart attack because we're going to be monitoring you just like we monitor the car and we're going to keep you from getting into that personal accident. Well, that's what GlaxoSmithKline is doing today. Right now, January of 21, they're proactively stopping environments where they know COVID is likely to spread. That's just freaking awesome. Mm, wow. Sounds like a sci-fi movie. <laughs> it does, man. <laughs> it, it really does. But you it know, sounds like the asked, plot to a movie. You know? Well, it, it, it's funny. Somebody asked me on a podcast uh, at the end of last year, you know, what's your biggest surprise of 2020? And, and, and honestly, I had to say, if you had said to me, or I think any of us, last December, December of 2019, if you said a virus can literally stop the entire world on its axes, just stop it. I think you would have been crazy to find one person that would have agreed with that. I mean, that's, that is sci-fi. That's a movie. That's, that's something we expect Kate Winslet running around in contagion, yeah. you know, with, yeah. with body. Ba that's, that's not life. That's Hollywood. And, and, and so in a lot of ways, we've been living, living in a sci-fi movie for the last 12 months. It's so why true. stop now? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me. Is there in your mind kind of a, let's say a penultimate usage for technology or like this is the dream for for technology the the future that will change everything what is that in your mind you know it, it, it's it's uh not this won't surprise you being a technology entrepreneur you know i grew up with star trek and star wars and you know all all of the the sci-fi classics and the, the, the problems with humanity are driven with inequality, disenfranch disenfranchisement, uh, you know, haves and have nots. 
Mm-hmm. And, and technology starts to level the playing field for all of that. If you get back to our conversation about data, if every living human being is capable of producing an income stream because simply by being, there is value in their existence and there's ways to monetize, can we use this data to provide simple housing, food, education, and healthcare for every human being on the planet? And if you do that, think of so many problems with our planet today, you know, refugees leaving all parts of the world, flooding Europe, trying to flood North America. The question, you know, people take a defensive posture of trying to keep these these foreigners out of our country. But you have to ask yourself, why are they leaving from where they're from? Right. They're leaving because the lack of health care, the lack of education, the lack of the ability to to earn uh, a living, the lack of pure basic common safety. And, and so I do believe that technology, it will take a century. I was just talking to my wife about this recently. I, I don't think that this happens in under 100 years. But I think we're, we're beginning to see parts of society embrace technology. Look at Elon Musk trying to colonize on Mars. I mean, he's, he's succeeded in everything else he's, he says he's going to do. That's true. You know, trying to push the limits. And you know, there was there was uh, I, I grew up in the in the early to mid 70s and there was a lot of criticism of the NASA space program, how expensive it was for us to get on the moon. But then there was all kinds of data that came out about all the things that happen in society because of the science and the, the, the technology that was born out of the space race. And that's really never changed. And so even while we have a large disenfranchised segments of society globally and here in America, we see a lot of disenfranchised, angry, uneducated people, you know, struggling, you know, so, so even though all that's going on, there is progression with our technology, with data, with innovation that ultimately trickles down to all of society. So I, I think that's the I think that's the natural path we're on, Darian. You know, do we? It won't happen in my lifetime, but do we get to a point where you know humans can can have a 150 or 200 year life expectancy? That yeah. the, the, the 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 all the joint replacements and the the rejuvenation and all of the things that can happen, uh, and we all live in peace. It's it's it sounds corny. I, I love that question. You're the first person. In, in 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 hundreds of interviews and and presentations and uh, that that I've been in, that's the first time anybody ever asked that. So I hope it's not too corny of a of a of a answer. But I think I think everything matters. I think everything's on the line with what we're doing right now. I actually tend to believe you and agree with you on this because I think, but I also think there's kind of this segment of that people are they're being fed one thing and maybe another thing is happening in a sense that like there's this fight between social media and technology and then people lump these things together. And then all of a sudden this is bad. Well, this is technology is bad because this is bad also, and this is hurting people. And I've had lots of these interviews with people about technology. And I think we're starting trying to get the message out that technology is good. Technology is not simply social media. Like that as there's a lot of other things that are not are getting that are not getting publicized of the good of technology, like what you're talking about with microshare and stuff. People aren't hearing that on a like all the time. They're hearing the downfalls of technology. 
instead of the amazing positives many times. Well, and that's always the case. I mean, really in, in anything, you know, you, 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 you buy a cup of McDonald's coffee and the first thing you see are the big warnings. Caution, it's hot. <laughs> you know, like we, we, we're, we live in a litigious world and everything is always done with the negatives. The other interesting co- piece of that conversation between technology and social media that you need to tease apart is the technology in social media is outstanding. The technology provides billions of people on the planet to communicate real time. That's the technology. The social media is the billions of people that put their own personal opinions and thoughts <laughs> through the technology, right? Right. So, 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 so it's not a technology problem. And, and, and then when people do get upset about the technology and that when they lump those two together, they move to censorship. And the, as much as I, to, you know, maybe this won't come as a surprise being that I'm in technology, but as much as I was, there was a little bit of gratification seeing the president uh, get permanently deleted from Twitter. There was a part of me that that didn't sit well with because at at the end of the day, uh, you know, okay, there's a line that's been drawn that didn't exist before. Now, where do we put that line? You know, it's 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 uh, it's kind of like the abortion debate. Uh, no, almost unanimously, nobody thinks an abortion is okay the day before a child's born, and almost unanimously, almost unanimously, nobody nobody thinks there's a problem with the morning after pill. Okay, but there's a, there's nine months in between that are really right. complex, and, and, and so these are hard social problems uh, to 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 solve. But I agree with you in, in the. In, in, in the people that don't think about technology every day or understand it or or are educated about it a lot, it's easy to throw the technology in with the uh, with all the bad. No different than throwing the airplane in with the terrorists on 9-11, right? The tech, the, the, as a matter of fact, the planes performed perfectly that day. They did exactly what the pilot told them to do. So there was no problem with the technology. There was a lot of problem with the people driving the airplanes. What's interesting is that we're we're living in a world where we like to blame technology and all these things, and it's not perfect. There are certainly flaws, but like people have a hard time looking at themselves as being the problem of the whole thing. It's like, well, okay, yes, you're using a technology that is incredible, the infrastructure of it, but like maybe you're the problem. (laughs) <laughs> in the technology, the stuff you're putting out there to the world and how that's reverberating to other humans, you know? It's funny you should say that. You know, we, we've, you know, our technology keeps getting better at MicroShare and we, 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 we like to think we're the best at what we do and we keep making it better. But uh, at any point in time when I'm talking to a big company, either regional or global, about implementation, 70% of our time is focusing on the people, not the technology. Right. So, so creating the awareness and the education. No, these aren't cameras. No, we're not tracking you personally. No, we don't know how often you're getting a cigarette break. No, we don't know that you and Karen seem to always be in the same area at the same time. <laughs> like all of these things that that because in the absence of that, what happens is we go in and we install our sensors, and people go out of their way. And when I say out of their way, I mean like. Obviously, stealing ladders from the maintenance room, climbing up into the ceilings to rip our sensors out, literally wow. rip them out. And, and, and it's, it's, 
it's a, you know, there's a, there's just a very human element to everything that we're talking about. And it's been a theme in this whole conversation, Darian, about privacy and personal data and data ownership and is data of value and, 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 you know, all of that. And, and, and sadly, 98% of the people can be absolutely down with what you're doing, but it only takes a handful of people to show up and rip your sensors out and you've destroyed it for everybody. Well, it's weird though, in a sense too, that's like the same um, individuals who may not, who are like privacy, privacy are often sharing their private life online constantly. It's just weird, ironic thing. Like, well, you don't want your privacy invaded, but you're constantly putting your privacy out to other people. <laughs> that's right. That's absolutely right. It's so weird. <laughs> like, and if anybody questions whether or not data is worth real money, just look at the market cap of Facebook. Right. Right. They get all their data for free and they make all their money from the data. It's it's pretty fascinating. Oh, I, it is fascinating. I, I love having these conversations about technology because I think people like yourself, every single person I talk to, they're very optimistic about it. And but they're also very knowledgeable. And I think there's a there's a knowledge gap there that. Uh, the consumer, your everyday person is just not aware of, of what's going on. So they have these conversations of like, don't follow me, don't track me, but I'm also willing to give you all my information anyways, through posting and tell you all these things. It's just, there's a disconnect there, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's the gap that we'll, we will close over time. You know, regulation is slow to catch up. So, so you know, it took the AIDS crisis of the 80s for us to establish HIPAA as we know it today to protect your personal healthcare information. The innovation that's taken place with Facebook and Twitter and Google and how they're using data, it's all moving so quickly. Governments around the world are struggling to keep up and to catch up, but they will. And, and there'll be crisis after crisis. I, I think we're gonna live through some very challenging times in the next 36 months as we move to that two-tiered society that I discussed, who's had COVID vaccine and who hasn't, what is contact tracing really meant. There's also an, a growing awareness that, that you know, what's after COVID-19? I, I say COVID-20, you know, making it up. But this isn't, I think we've learned now that contact tracing, how people interact in the physical world, how we come in contact with each other, how we utilize physical things in our space, it matters on a global scale. And so just like 9-11, where there was, you know, we never went back to travel the way it was on September 10th of that year. Um, and it took us a decade, but we finally figured it out. And so now if you're flying out of Dubai, LA, or London, you know the drill. You take the fluids out of your bag, you take your laptop Correct. out, you take your shoes off. We just kind of, we know what, but boy, that took a long time to figure out. I think the same thing's going to happen with, with COVID-19. We, we are still in the stage of brushing the dust off of our clothes and trying to figure out what the hell just happened. And, and, and we're starting to get our sea legs a little bit and saying, okay, what do we do? And we have lots of knee-jerk reactions right now. But people talk about, well, when are we going back to work as normal? We're not. No. We're going back to a new normal, and it's going to have a whole bunch of things in it. And one of the things that's going to be permanent is we're going to be keenly aware of our surroundings. We're going to be keenly aware of the things we touch, the people we interact with, how we utilize these things. 
and and I'm not saying this is this is absolutely going to happen, but just like a credit score, you can imagine your iWatch two years from now giving you a social distancing score, and if your score stays above forty, um, you get a ten percent discount on your health insurance. Yeah, and if your score is between a twenty and forty, you don't. And if it's between five and twenty, you pay a ten percent premium. No different than we're doing now with car insurance. You know, utilization and behavior drive economic realities. And so there's all kinds of things that are going to happen uh, out of the next, you know, 24 to 36 months. And we're and it's going to be around privacy. It's going to be around entitlement. It's going to be around uh, uh, haves and have nots. It's going to be around HIPAA. It's going to be really interesting, I think, Darian, to see how it plays out. Um, I'm going to be embracing it as enthusiastically as I can, try to keep pushing a positive agenda, because ultimately, if we can get to the other side of this, and when COVID-20 hits, if it's in five years or 55 years, we as a planet do a better job with it next time than we did this time, I think it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, if you really think about it in that positive direction, too, I mean, obviously, you're a regular flyer. I was a very regular flyer before this. And I used, I think to myself, wow, you know, they used to turn those planes around really quickly before. How clean were they before anyways? Like, <laughs> I, you know, like, I'm so much, it's way cleaner now. Like, don't you want your plane to have this level of cleanliness all the time anyways? Exactly. And like. That's, I mean, uh, you know, obviously being sensitive to all the things that have happened and, and terrible things for people. The, the other side of it is that flying will probably be better than it's ever been for you in terms of the cleanliness of it and the attention to detail. And probably in many other sectors, the same could be true, much like you're mentioning with microshare and those things. And some very tragic things often create weird silver linings, weird Absolutely. stuff in the future that you never anticipate. You know? Absolutely. World War II and the GI Bill launched the American economy as we know it. Yes. You couldn't have had a worse event and a better outcome. It catapulted America into its leadership position, and it's never looked back until, until recently. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, and, and so it's, it's really, you know, as, as I think about air travel, where, where I worry a little bit is, you know, do, do we get to a point where if you're not vaccinated, you don't get on the plane? Right. Um, yeah. I thought about know, that too. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, will the act, will access to life, airplanes, meetings, restaurants, or entertainment, you know, just want to go see a movie at AMC. You got to show your yeah. your your vaccine. <laughs> right. W will that drive us to get a vaccine? Maybe when a doctor says, "Hey, I think you ought to wait." So now commercial reasons are driving our healthcare. That's also a slippery, dangerous yes uh, path to get on. But we're already kind of half there as Americans because we let our insurance companies decide what procedures they'll let our doctors do. Exactly. So so we've already tied one hand of our doctors behind their back. Um, now with this kind of economic pressure, are we going to tie the other hand behind their back? Cause there's a lot of people that the vaccine is not right for right now. That's true. That should true. wait. And suddenly we're going to disenfranchise them and treat them as second class citizens. 
and, and I'm not saying this has happened yet. This could very well happen. You already see it. You see the conversations. The UK government just the other day, nobody is allowed in the UK without a current COVID test. Well, that's okay. Yeah. That, 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 that's the beginning of, of an interest. So, so you get to the border, no COVID test, turn around. Not welcome here. Well, is that the same then? Uh, I was in London in September and uh, managed to just get over for a month, get some stuff done. I've got a flat over there. And so it was just trying to, I didn't, I never expected to be gone this long. Every restaurant that I went into, even for takeout food, had a taking my temperature, touching my forehead, taking my temperature before I was able to walk up to the takeout window. Imagine in September of 2019, going anywhere <laughs> and them saying, oh, Darian, wait, before you come in, let me take your temperature. No way. <laughs> no way. No way. Right. The police would have been there. The Civil Liberties Union would have been there. Unions would have shown up. There would have been protests. Now we don't even think twice. We just we drop our arms, put our forehead forward like trained seals and just get it done. So it's it's going to be interesting what uh, what the next 36 months has in store for us. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. I, I tell you, this is a very enlightening conversation. And I always learn a lot when I'm on these podcasts, you know, interviewing people and having discussions. Ron, The Rock, you're the man. <laughs> <laughs> not not the football player or rock That's star. okay, but, but you're still the rock to me, okay? <laughs> I, I appreciate it, Darian. Thanks. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Of course. You got it, man. We'll be in touch. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.